Hey, everyone. Welcome back to a special episode of Windowsill Chats. I am really looking forward to bringing you a little treat today. I'm doing things a little differently and sharing with you an excerpt from a show I love called Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso. Every Sunday, Sam invites an artist, activist, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart. It's a different kind of interview show than you've probably heard before, where he explores questions big and small through dialogues driven by curiosity, compassion, and an abundance of research. And just like Windowsill Chats, it's all about getting to know creative culture makers and their stories. Recently, Sam has welcomed guests like Margaret Atwood, Stacey Abrams, Kate Blanchett, Questlove, the lovely Alana Heim, David Byrne, and as you'll hear today, Marina Abramovich. Marina is a pioneer in the field of performance art, using her body as both the subject and the medium. Sam sat with her for a conversation around her new solo exhibition, Performative. This exhibition chronicles both how she has pioneered performance as a visual art form and how with her work, Marina has changed the public's perception and interaction with performance art globally. Sam and Marina discuss her relationship to Ukraine, creating art out of hardship, the curiosity that propels her forward, and how her seminal piece, The Art is Present, lives on today. If you haven't watched the highlights of The Art is Present, which she performed in 2010, I personally hope you will treat yourself. It is highly moving and very memorable. I hope you enjoy Sam and Marina's conversation as much as I did. You can hear the full episode and more from Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso wherever you get your podcasts. Marina, thank you uh, for having me in your apartment. This is very unusual, especially in pandemic times. I think I totally ignore pandemic times. Looks to me, I don't know, I work more than ever. I travel more than ever. I'm really lucky I never got sick. I got all vaccinations, boosters, and like everybody else. My pandemic time was incredibly creative. For an artist, solitude is so important. In these two years, there was plenty of solitude. Also, for me, nature was very important. I developed this exercise that to go to nature and look the tree you really like and hug the tree and complain within minimum 15 minutes. And I'd done this in England and people really start complaining much longer than 15 minutes. So much to complain in England. They start crying, they start pouring their heart out and talk about their lives. I really understood how much nature can heal. Well, we're going to do a whole show with very little complaints. <laughs> we're not going to complain too much. I'm not complaining type. I actually am very positive. You know, to me, when I see something very tragic, something very difficult is happening, it's always reason behind to really understand why things are happening is not happening. I love the, this saying of Sufis. I think it's a Rumi. He say, the worst is the best. And why? Because then when it comes to the bottom of things, then somehow the gravitation force pulls you up after every rainy days of the sun. How are you grappling with what's happening in Russia and Ukraine? 
I was just reflecting on this whole thing. You know, first of all, I just been there. So my relation to this is really like something's happening to my family and it's devastating. And I just been in a Kiev walking on the streets and seeing the buildings being demolished and at the suffering and the people in the subways and no food and no electricity, no water. And feel almost guilty how lucky I am here. I'm here in America and I just, uh, you know, go to the bathroom and have a hot shower anytime I want. And then also the question, but what you can do in this situation, how you can help. I also have the same questions when it was war in my country, in ex-Yugoslavia. And then I realized the only thing I can do is do my work as best as I can and give the message through art. In that time in uh, Yugoslav war, I created this piece, Balkan Baroque, which I washed the bones repeatedly for five days in the 30 degrees Celsius when the warmth was coming out of the meat and blood was everywhere. And the message was that you never can wash the blood from your own hands. And that image is looking very apocalyptic, you know, me sitting on the pile of 2,500 bones and try to wash them without any result. That was in 1997? Yeah, exactly. But the part of this more important was, it was for that moment from my country, but that image, I also want to be transcendental. I want to be that image that we can use over and over again, wherever war is somewhere. So now is Ukraine. Just before I, uh, this war started, the last, only few months ago, I've been several times in Ukraine because I was invited to build monument for Babiar. Uh, Babiar, it's one of the very dark part of history of the Second World War. In 1943, uh, 130,000 Jewish people, gay people, and the gypsies been killed in three days, stripped naked and killed on the hill and straw into the mass grave. And then after that, it was just put the concrete over this whole thing and became the park. And this park stays through the Nazi period, through Ukraine period, and Russian came and Ukraine came back into the independency and never been any kind of memory about that event. And some Holocaust people who still survive, some people who remember this whole thing and never had any point that they can actually mourn or they can, you know, sit in silence and reflect on this event till Zelensky, the president, came. And Zelensky is a Jewish and he felt his duty as the first thing, actually, to create the park of the memory about Babiar. And he was some artist, and I made the proposal, and my proposal was accepted. And I was very touched and really full responsibility what I'm going to do there. So I was thinking how I can conceptually prolong this wall of prayer in Jerusalem all the way to the Ukraine, into the wall of crying, healing, and forgiveness. And I came with this idea of 40 meter, very big wall, enormous, I don't know how many tons actually, to construct freestanding wall in this park. And the wall was made from the coal, black coal, who is actually came out of Ukraine. And then I ordered 250 pure crystals from the middle of the mines in Brazil. And I positioned them in uh, three places, in exactly position of the head, heart, and stomach, uh, with the different sizes of different size of people, including the children. And the instruction of that wall was that you go in there, face the wall, and press 
and three points of your body against the crystals. I close your eyes and just contemplate, remember, and also get healing from crystals that historically have been possible. And it was incredible to see 40 people standing against the wall. And when was the opening of this old Babiar event, for the opening came Zelensky, came the president of Germany and the president of Israel. And these three presidents never faced the wall in their life. They always faced the audience. And I asked them actually to face the wall, and they did. And this was a very historical moment, you know. The idea of that monument is there for healing. And before the attack of Russia, there was already so many rumors in Ukraine, the war will start frequently to be used more and more and more. And I hope there was still, after this hell finish one day, I hope the wall will be still there. Something you said early on, you and I, sitting here in this beautiful apartment in New York, you feel some kind of guilt that you're here and your friends are in Ukraine. How much of your work do you think comes from a place of guilt? I don't think much, actually, if I think really seriously. Lots of work come out of uh, missing love, out of uh, loneliness, broken heart, unhappiness. Uh, some kind of big drama. You know, I always think that generally, if you look history of art, it's not too many art come from happiness. You need some kind of push into something that is different than your tranquil life. And always my old theory that, you know, if you're a childhood, you have a great childhood, it's difficult to become good artist because you have to have a difficult childhood because there's so much work to do, to, to work with. And I'm always, you know, I take my body as, as a center of the work, like, you know, pushing mental, physical limits, but also the body's universe. And Nobody knows even how our brain works. We think that we have 30% working, but actually scientists have just developed the theory that we only have 20% work. Some people seem to have less than 20%. Less than, I'm sure. But the, the thing is that, you know, if I take my body's universe, it's endless exploration, endless exploration. And to me, in, the, in the, my early period of work, I was really kind of pushing this physical limits. And now I'm so much more interested in the brain and, and mental limits, which is so much harder. But I think the work, if you come just uh, about guilt, I don't think that's interested. I think it's so much more important to kind of expand consciousness and see things in, in a kind of big view. I always love this big view. This idea of transformation, this is recurring throughout your work, the artist's present is being represented by a video installation in this upcoming exhibition. For people who may remember this piece, or those who don't know about it, how do you think about this performance now? You see, this is 12 years later. And uh, one of the reasons why I want to show to actually this piece now in the gallery after 12 years is really that I have very large young audience. I, my generation is not kind of my audience. And so many of them never had the opportunity to see this work. It's a huge opportunity to actually reconstruct it. But also what is happening in this, in this piece, it's that I documented lifetime exactly, which is insane. We are talking 716 hours of the documentation. I was thinking how I can present this. I was very conscious about recording this historical event, even if you're never going to sit there and look 76 hours, but you, in your mind, you know, that's real time, real labor, which I put in 
and it's no fake. I never stand up, I never drink the water, I never moved. So it's just to be there present for this period of time. So what we had there, we had one camera who filmed the whole situation, which is a two chairs and table, a two months, and later on table was removed, it's just two chairs. And then we film, you know, on one side, me, first months in blue color, because dress was blue, second month in red, I need more energy, and the third month purification, white color. So the each of the square, which is actually film on my face, it's actually eight hours multiplied by three months. The only time that is 10 hours is every Tuesday when museum is open 10 hours. So it's really created as a diary. On another side, you have people, every single square, is amount of people who sit that day. Some of them sit five minutes, 20, 30. I have the guy who sit the entire seven hours. I have the same man sit 21 time in the different periods. I have people returning, coming back and so on. So the second screen on the opposite is like pulsating up and down, up and down, up and down. And in the middle, you have original two chairs and the table. So it's real time. You go into kind of time capsule to see this piece. And then it's very important, another thing about this installation, the photography. In the 70s, when you record performance art, the photographer never been told what to do because also performance sometimes is very impulsive or is very improvised, so you never know what's going to happen. And then sometimes it's 15 minutes, one hour, two hours. So the photographer will come, take some shots, go smoke a cigarette, come back, take another shot. So what you see, it's not really exact what happened there. And also is influenced by the vision of photographer, what he see, and not what actually see the performer after seeing documentation. And here I have Marconelli, who I asked to photograph every single person which means that he's the first photographer in history to be there exact amount of time like me with exact same conditions. He could go to the toilet, he could not go to eat, he had to be there to photograph every single person. And so most of the people sit there and cry. And the Marco Nelly told me that he will actually photograph different sequences, but we also will make the point of waiting that the tear reach the cheek and the light just kind of hit that point that is glowing. Wow, the photographer, we just actually published the, the book. It's, it's, it's just incredible. For 760 and a half hours, you're sitting motionless in the MoMA atrium. Again, this is eight hours a day, every day, 10 hours on Fridays for three months. You and I just sitting here now, you're an extremely excitable, animated person that wants to go from here to here in conversation and, and, and offering tea and you've given me cookies and Japanese too. Japanese <laughs> and, and all these treats and I sense a kind of restlessness even in the pandemic you were creating endlessly in the work when you're sitting there for three months did it calm you in some way? You know I don't need to be calm I am excited I love things I love to explore I'm curious I love to see Every moment, the world, like a child, just, you know, born. This is so important. This, I feel that life in every pore of my body. And that work, in a performance work, is something else. You enter to another type of yourself. You enter in your super self, how I can say. It's a transition, you know. You create the concept, and then you execute this concept. And that's not the life, but is life also. Because three months doing this thing become life become my life, 
Because there was nothing else. Because there's no division no divi at that point between no, no. art and your life. And then when you when I came back out to the performance, I made a big party. I went to the countryside with the 12 friends and we had a blast. We had a love and we had a humor and we have ice cream and we have fun. You know, this is the thing, you know, it's, it's not contradiction. I have so many different people in me and all of them have a kind of um, equal presence and each one come in to function with this, what the concept needs, you know? So I am doing nothing regularly, you know, like uh, people say, oh my, you meditate every day. No, I'm not. But there is a time that I just wake up and I'm lazy and laziness is fine too. And then I have uh, some ideas and they're really shitty. So, I'm thinking and love about them and I'm not doing it. And then I have an idea, idea, I'm so obsessed by it and I'm so afraid. It's like, hell, I have to do that. Like artist is present. That was a hell of an idea. But it was also opportunity to show the transformative power of performance art by doing absolutely nothing. That was incredible. But it was every day could be the last, how heavy and difficult it was. But that was my chance to do that in a setting of the MoMA Art Museum and, and put performance right from non-mainstream art into mainstream. And to me, I was 65 when I done MoMA. I could never do this when I was 25. For simple reason, I didn't have this willpower. I didn't have the wisdom. I could not concentration and any of this. 65 was the right time and I do it. I mean, now I'm next year 76 and I'm planning very big performance <laughs> in Royal <laughs> Academy. And I just done, you know, opera, which I'm directing and playing myself, but not so difficult. You know, but I want to say it's so interesting to explore new territories, to see what's happening. This is not restlessness. This is curiosity. I want to go to one day after two months of performing when a man in a wheelchair arrives at the front of the line. The guards remove the other chair and put him in his wheelchair across the table from you. And you said, I looked at this man and I realized that I didn't even know if he had legs. The table was in the way. What happened that night when you went home? Then I realized that I actually don't need a table. That is some kind of social structure that I constructed from the beginning. But I could not know there before because this atrium is such a huge space. And if I just had the two chairs, I felt it was very little because it's already so minimal. You know, I put a table there. And this is the fear generally of very young artists when they think they need to put lots of stuff. And I literally, all my career, remove, remove, remove. But now I was only two chairs and table. I think, okay, this is pretty minimal. But then when this man came and I realized, I don't know if you have legs or not, I understood I don't need this table either. And this was incredibly important realization. Then when I came to MoMA next day, the security manager told me that it's not possible, that it's buffer before me and audience, that you have to have it. I said, yes, but this is my decision. And I removed the table. At that, everything changed. I was dressed in white and all energy was like so dense. And relation was so intense, but I was ready for that intense relation because I already sit there two months before. So this is the process that you can't actually speed it up. You have to go slowly till you realize that you don't need anything. And this is why performance art is an incredible power of realization of so many things and kind of energy that other type of art doesn't have. And it's so difficult to maintain because it's immaterial, it's time-based takes everything from you. And yet, 
it seems you still have more to give. Too late to hide. <laughs> Is that a promise? Yes. I don't stop. Before we go, since I never had a chance to sit across from you during The Artist is Present. Yeah. Would you mind if we just sat here for a moment? Close your eyes. I just want to say something when you sit still and quiet. It's never stillness and quiet because there's so much space inside your body, in your organs, between liver and kidneys, between your heart and ribs and so on. There is a movement everywhere. Then all the planet is moving around the ox and then the planet is moving around the sun and the sun and planets are moving around Milky Way, and everything is moving to another, who knows where, galaxies. And to understand all this is really to be still. And to understand actually stillness is being in the moment. Well, Marina Abramovich, I thank you very much for sitting in this moment with me, for all that you have done and will continue to do, and for inviting me into your home. No secrets at all. No secrets, but please promise and come to the workshop next time to do the cleaning the house, your own body house. It seems I have some work to do. Okay, done. Thank you for sitting with me. Thank you. That was a preview of Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, a podcast from Pushkin Industries. You can hear more of Talk Easy wherever you get your podcasts.